Well, good morning uh, again, everyone. Our gospel lesson this morning, uh, it's a story about what happens sometime in the evening on the day of Jesus' resurrection. It has uh, been a heartbreaking and busy and uh, chaotic and strange day for all of Jesus' followers in Jerusalem. Throughout that whole day, there have been rumors floating around that the tomb was found empty, and some people are saying that they have actually seen him, including the two people who are quickly making their way back to Jerusalem in the story that we're uh, about to read and hear together. So I'm going to read from Luke 24 for us. I'll read verses 33 through 43. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now that you would uh, use this story that we have read and heard together, this, this strange and, and beautiful and joyful story, to do what you always do through it that you would meet with us, that you would meet us in exactly the places where we find ourselves this morning. Those of us uh, this morning who are ready to hear from you, who feel close to you, those of us this morning uh, who don't feel close to you um, for whatever reason, those of us who aren't sure what it would even mean to hear your voice. Father, meet those of us who have faith and those of us who don't and those of us who struggle with doubt. Meet us all in this story and show us the grace of the resurrected Jesus and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. My, my uh, pediatrician growing up, his name was Dr. Ernie Marr. Um, I sometimes can't remember where I put my glasses four minutes ago, um, but I don't think that I will ever forget Dr. Marr. A part of that, of course, is because I saw him at least a couple times a year during the first 18 years of my life, but mostly uh, it was because he was kind and he was very funny. And once, um, when he was taking stitches out of my head, he called me the $6 million man. Um, for a little kid coming up in the 70s, that is just about the best name you could possibly have. If you don't know who that is, you can look it up later. Anyhow, while I'm, I'm sure Dr. Marr had ch tested my reflexes countless times uh, since I had been born, but I remember the first time it really registered to me uh, that it was happening,
because he took a few minutes to explain it to me. He held up that uh, tomahawk-shaped rubber mallet, told me he was going to hit me uh, on the top of my, me my knee, and my leg was going to kick out. And uh, I absolutely did not believe him. <laughs> uh, I didn't have uh, any category for that. I hadn't seen anything like that before, as far as I knew. Um, I, I didn't think anything like that was even possible, so I assumed that he was joking around with me. Um, but of course he wasn't, and when it happened and my leg kicked out, um, I was absolutely amazed. And I laughed with that kind of kid's uh, joyful disbelief. <laughs> and I asked him to do it again, and of course he did it again. And I think, uh, I think that joyful disbelief, it's a pretty good window into that story that we just read and heard together. Like I said, rumors had been circulating uh, around Jerusalem since the sun had come up that morning. All of the gospel writers tell this story so beautifully with pathos and surprise and humor. At first, of course, it was the women who made their way back from the tomb early that morning. They, they come back to the 11 disciples and everyone else who was hiding out in that locked room, and they tell them, look, the tomb was empty, and some of us, some of us have actually seen him. And you know what happened? Nobody believed them. Nobody believed them. They thought it was, as uh, Luke puts it, an idle tale. Like little four-year-old me in the doctor's office, they were sure it had to be some kind of joke. But, you know, curiosity gets the better of Peter and John, and they run off to the tomb, and they see that for sure the tomb is empty. Something definitely has gone down there, but they don't see Jesus. And then Luke, in his story, cuts away from Jerusalem out to this road, out to Emmaus, these two disciples walking along really sad and disconsolate. But then they see Jesus too, and they turn tail, and they run back to the city to tell the disciples. And when they get to that room, that safe house or whatever, it's clear that these whispers, these kind of rumors, are all that anyone has been talking about all day. Because when they get there, the whole room blows up. And everybody starts saying, Jesus is, is risen indeed. Now, we don't know, you know, who all was in the room at the time. <laughs> um, but we do know that only three, maybe four of them, had seen Jesus at that point. It seems like maybe the rest of the folks in that room that are saying that Jesus has risen or just kind of getting carried away. And you can't blame them. I mean, that's what they wanted. You can't blame them for hoping against hope. They're saying the words, but they have no idea what they really mean. And that this is true uh, becomes immediately apparent and with great irony. As they were talking about these things, Luke says, as they were talking about these things, as they were talking about how Jesus was risen, and isn't that so amazing and wonderful and incredible, as they're talking about those things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. And they were startled, and they were frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. 
All of those people, every one of them, including presumably the three or four who had actually seen Jesus already. They see him again and they lose it and they think that a ghost has somehow gotten in the room with them. In church, I don't ever, ever, ever get tired of hearing this part of the story. I don't ever get tired of this moment. Because it's a reminder to me and to you and to everyone of just how category-shattering the resurrection of Jesus really is. I mean, listen, church. (laughs) It is easier for those folks in that room to believe that they are being haunted than it is for them to believe what they have just been saying to each other, that he's risen. He's standing right in front of them. And it's easier for them to think anything else has happened. You know what they need? Uh, They need what I needed in Dr. Marr's office. They need to get whacked with that mallet. (laughs) And then they'll know, or at least they'll start to know, And this is precisely what Jesus is prepared to do for them. And when it happens, they they will realize that they woke up that morning in a world that was very different than the one they had gone to sleep in the night before, and that everything has changed for them, for you, for me, for the whole world. So Jesus, you know, like he often does, he begins with a question that he already knows the answer to. The question is for them, it's not for him. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? (laughs) It is strange, isn't it? The whole thing is strange that when they're faced with the actual resurrected Jesus, they, they think that they're seeing things. I mean, they have never had an experience in their human life up until that moment that can make sense out of what they're seeing. And this happens over and over again in the resurrection stories in the Gospels. Jesus is the same, and he's really, really different too. And I think this is for one uh, simple reason, and that is because every category about being human has been shattered in the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, to put it as best I know how, they they have never seen a human being like that before. And nothing could have prepared them for it. Jesus, Jesus hadn't simply been resuscitated. He had been resurrected. Jesus um, didn't just, uh, you know, have a near-death experience and recover from it. He wasn't just out on the table for a few minutes before they revived him. Jesus had gone through death, and he had come out the other side of it. He had stared down the last enemy, and while they were in that room the day before, sad and tired, he was fighting with the last enemy, and he crushed it forever. Jesus had emerged that morning victorious as a human being from a place where no human beings had ever come from before, and it showed. It showed. 
And all of the resurrection appearances, they sing this to be true, that the disciples were staring down a new creation in that room. Of course it was unsettling. Of course it messed with them. They didn't have any category for it at all. And church, when we say together as God's people, when we affirm together in the creed that Jesus descended into hell and on the third day he rose again from the dead, we are affirming that new category. Christus victor, Christ the victor. We're affirming that Jesus has defeated our last enemy, that he has defeated death. And that means to be found in him by faith. It means that we will go where he has gone to. And it means that those uh, that we have lost in him, they also will go where he has gone. It means that he has already led them safely home through disease and pandemic and sorrow and chaos and loss and separation, he has already led them safely home. And church, that is a hope that is as sure as the Jesus who is standing there with the disciples that night in front of them. Chrysostom, the uh, fourth century church father said it like this. He said, hell grasped a corpse and met God. (laughs) Hell took what it saw and was overcome by what it could not see. Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ is risen and you are cast down. And then Jesus, in this widest of graces, (laughs) he moves even closer to them. He moves even closer to them and takes them deeper into the meaning of his resurrection because he shows them his wounds. He says, see my hands and my feet, touch me and see. And no doubt, you know, uh, with trembling, they stretch their hands out to the wounds of Jesus. You know, just a few days before, those wounds had been the source of their deepest pain. Just a few days before, those wounds had meant to them the ending of everything that they had dared to ever hope for. But now they find that the very wounds that had caused them that pain and the very wounds that they thought meant the end have been transformed by the resurrection of Jesus into the source of their forgiveness and their healing and their hope. And they reach out their own hands and they touch the fathomless grace of the resurrection of Jesus. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And with his wounds, we are healed. And church, when when we say together, when we affirm together in the creed that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, this is what we're talking about. It is the risen Jesus who offers up his wounds for our forgiveness. It's not only death that is defeated in the resurrection of Jesus. It is the sin and the rebellion that caused death to spring unwelcome into the world that is also defeated. 
It's the sin and death that has sprung unwelcome into our lives that is defeated. And to be found in the risen Jesus by faith is to be forgiven. It is to be healed by his wounds. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, St. Paul says. Behold, the new has come. Tolkien uh, coined a word for the kind of moment that the disciples are experiencing and which we experience too when we really reflect on Jesus' love for us and his resurrection. Tolkien's word was eucatastrophe. The good catastrophe. That sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears. And he describes this moment as being like the sudden relief that rushes in when a major limb that's been out of joint suddenly comes back into place. It is a tearful joy. Because it comes from the place where our joy and our sorrow meet, where they are finally reconciled. And church, that, that's what the resurrection means for people like us. The resurrection is a flag, a flag planted forever. And it's a sign for us and for the whole broken world that all of the collected sorrow and all of the collected chaos and loss that sin has brought into our lives and that it's brought into this world, it will be untangled. It will be undone all of the things that feel completely out of joint in this world, all of the things in our own individual lives that feel hopelessly out of joint, they will be set again. They will be untangled and undone, and it will be restored to the peace and the beauty and the good that was always intended for us. And you and I, I mean, people like us, we cling to that good news by repentance and by faith. And when we do, when we do, whether for, if it's for the first time or the thousandth time, we experience that same sudden relief of having all of the sorrow of our life and all of the joy of our life be reconciled in the depthless love of Jesus. And when that happens, we realize this is what we have been made for. This is what the whole world has been made for. Now, all of the folks in that room, <laughs> I mean, they don't get all that at once. Not, not by a long shot. And of course, Jesus knows this. Jesus knows it's going to take them, just like it takes us a really long time to work this stuff out in our lives. I mean, Luke says that even when he is doing these things, they are still disbelieving with joy and marvel. <laughs> and that's okay, because for now, uh, Jesus is hungry. <laughs> he says to them, does anybody have anything to eat? <laughs> and Jesus does then what he often does with his theology. He embodies it around a meal with his friends. 
Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that you would do uh, whatever it is that you need to do in the lives of people like us to help us to see, to help us uh, to have that kind of joyful disbelief and to have our own good catastrophe where we see in the resurrection of Jesus the place where our joy and our sorrow can be reconciled, where we can be set back to right and we believe that this whole world can be set back to right. Father, do, do what you need to do to help us to see and to truly believe with every part of who we are that he has defeated death and that his wounds are the place where we begin to be healed and forgiven and made new. Father, do this so that we will be healed, <laughs> so that we will be made new, so that we'll grow up in our own faith and do this so that through us, you can love this broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.